0: that's ultimately what creates a successful business in our industry or in real estate or really any professional services industry is your ability to connect with a person very uniquely.
1: From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and
0: retain more business.
1: Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and
2: Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Tonight at dinner, I told Steve, I said, one of my goals is to see if we can open up an office in Miami uh, by next year. And that's more of a selfish personal that. goal. You've been saying that for three years. I know, years. but but I'm serious about it this time because <laughs> I can't we were in the northeast. We're in like outside of Philadelphia and It hasn't even been that cold this dude, winter. I can't take it. I like walking out this morning you know in like twenty something degrees, I'm just like, this is like miserable. I thought hell was supposed to be burning flames, not cold. <laughs> Well, yeah, this, man. this no is no more
1: Philly for me. Yeah, this will there. be coming out uh, early spring. So this will be Just, coming yeah, out early put spring. Put your mind, dude. You
0: grew up. You grew up in Philly. I did. Yeah, I went to Malvern Prep. Grew up in Media. That's right. Uh, I remember
2: you saying that. Yeah. Now yeah. it's all coming back to me. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Mm-hmm. So six, you understand
0: the Philly, six the one zero oh. cold. You. Yep. Delaware <laughs> County. Delaware oh, yeah, County. Delco. That's, I, had right. <laughs> I had my time. I had my time. Now.
1: Oh, man. Well, the voice that you are hearing today on Stay Paid is Patrick Brewer. He is the founder of Shorepath Wealth, a next-gen ensemble practice with the average partner age of 36. That's like the millennial practice, FA advisor. Yeah, well, there's
2: 81 million millennials entering the market. Hey, all my financial advisors who are listening to this... 81 million people getting to the investment age. I learned this from the great Frank Maselli. Yeah. So, Frank's awesome. But um, so it's like the biggest. It's a golden age. Like, I forget what you call it, but like the biggest generation ever entering in the investment age. So, the growth that's just going to come to the market just because of the amounts of people
1: that can invest is going to be unlike we've seen. Patrick is also the host of the Model FA podcast, a show about financial advisor practice management and marketing. Patrick's mission is to empower advisors to remove financial anxiety from the world by combining human first investment advice with cutting edge marketing and practice management strategies. His credentials include being a CFA charter holder and a CPA. He has been featured in the Entrepreneur, Think Advisor, Advisor Perspectives, and the Financial Advisor magazine. Patrick, welcome to the podcast.
0: Excited to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. That intro made me sound really fancy, so I we appreciate it. Like,
1: we like doing that. We like giving you the softballs <laughs> in the beginning, and then Luke yeah. swoops in with the hard questions. Yes, yeah,
2: so we're going to get really, right. really hard questions. That's our goal for 2020, is to make people just nervous to come on Stay Paid.
1: I posted on LinkedIn the other day. I said, our goal was to hit
2: number one. Yeah, we're going to hit number one. And what, have, what are we up to now? We hit 22? We hit 22. 22, 22 yeah. on the marketing podcast with iTunes. So number number one is is where it's going to be at. But Patrick, super excited to have you on, especially excited to get into this idea of how do you manage your practice better? Um, Everybody who listens to this, whether they're a real estate agent, financial advisor, insurance, they're managing a business. And a lot of times the failure that we as service-based sales professionals and entrepreneurs get into is that the business runs us It's the constant stress and the constant pain point of just, man, I feel like I'm working 24-7 for less money, but it was supposed to be freedom. So, you know, I want to get into kind of your brain and and how you've really built not only your practice, but how you're teaching people to build their practice effectively. But before we do that, could you just kind of share, you know, your journey, how you got into even coaching, you know, financial advisors, how you got into the podcast, how you got into what you're doing today?
0: Yeah, man. I'm happy to do it. I'll, I'll try and give an abridged version. Um, I've got about, I want to say, 12 years of experience now in the advice industry. I feel like the years just keep ticking by so fast, but I started my career in 2008, right during the Great Recession. So that was really fun. That's I, great uh, timing. Yeah, you know, that's all, I'm all about timing, man. I'm all about timing. So I came out of school, went to University of Delaware, originally from the East Coast, Philadelphia, uh, with like you guys. And, uh, just started working at Vanguard, uh, was on the phones. There really weren't any jobs available during the recession. I mean, I pretty much had to fight and call for whatever I could get. And, uh, what I landed was a hundred phone calls a day talking to people who were really scared about their retirement ca- accounts dropping by forty to fifty percent, mm. and me being you know twenty two years old that was uh, that was the person I guess that was going to talk to them and help them uh, navigate through those those challenging times. So I was taking about a hundred calls a day trying to keep people invested in the markets, and what I realized that. Was without a relationship, without a trusted connection, there was a, basically a zero chance uh, in hell that I was going to be able to do that um, consistently. So I was pretty much just moving people to cash every single day mm. for right. the better part of a year, and realized pretty quickly that that wasn't an, an optimal situation for me, and it really wasn't an optimal situation for the people that were other on the other end of the line. So I started searching for other uh, opportunities and alternatives to to kind of broaden my skill set and and you know have more impact. And I took another job at Vanguard. It was a rotational program through corporate finance, fund accounting, audit, and realized I really didn't like the mid and back office. So I ended up moving out to uh, Austin and took a job with a company called Dimensional Fund Advisors and really enjoyed it. I was there for four years. I consulted with advisors all around the country and it allowed me to have more impact as far as helping the consumer get what they want, which is good financial advice that gives them a better outcome in the future but I was just doing it a little bit differently. I wasn't talking to the end consumer. I was consulting with financial advisors and teaching them about capital markets, practice management, marketing, business development, all the fun stuff that we both talk about today. And, you know, did that for about four years, worked my way up, got my CFA, CPA, did all the tests like you're supposed to do in corporate, and then got the uh, the itch to be an entrepreneur. And at that time, I was about 27 years old, and I teamed up with some uh, advisors that were my then clients when I was at DFA and we purchased a 200 and I want to say 20 million dollar AUM firm out in Sacramento California mm. and that that was kind of the start to my journey as an entrepreneur and during that time it was uh, it was a learning experience you know I was 27 I had a huge ego, very prideful ended up, uh, you know, not working out incredibly well for me, but I learned a ton, <laughs> a ton of things during that time. Uh, you know, when we bought the practice, the seller was a great guy. He was in his early 70s. And at the time he said that he wanted to retire, just play some more golf. And, you know, I was obviously really motivated to uh, transition the relationships and modernize the practice and, you know, just grow. Um, you know, the vision was to kind of grow a national wealth management firm and have that be kind of this, the launching point for it. And uh, just didn't end up working out, you know. Like we we just didn't see eye to eye as far as kind of the, the transition, and he you know was pretty reluctant to introduce me to clients. Uh, he actually started working longer hours uh, after we bought the practice, and there were there were two working typewriters in the office that were used on a daily basis. So it was like really culture shock for me. I went from a uh, like a modern corporate office with people in their twenties and thirties. It's stepping into a practice with most of the folks being in their 60s and 70s and wow. you know, using typewriters. And I just don't remember my first day, I I was in the office and I just hear this like k- 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 k noise. And I'm like, what? What is that? is that Morse code? I don't even understand what's going on. It's so like walk down the hall and I see the office manager hitting a, hitting a typewriter. And the next thing I know, I get an email, which was a typewritten memo that was then scanned no and emailed way. to me wow. that I needed to print sign and then file away and I was like man I made a mistake (laughs) this is this is like way too heavy so I I basically worked there for a year um you know modernized the practice as much as I could ran into a lot of headwinds on the 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 from the 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 selling uh, uh the previous owner and then also it just didn't work out with my current partner so I ended up selling my shares left that situation learned a ton super grateful for my experiences uh you know at that at that firm and took some time off. I was honestly a little bit jaded on the wealth management industry. After that experience, I had put in 100 hours a week, was mm-hmm. flying back and forth from Sacramento, California to Austin, Texas, because wow. you know the, the plan was to kind of expand out from Sacramento and not really have me be the secession plan for the next 20 to 30 years. I really wanted to bring other advisors together in a more modern infrastructure with a systematic marketing plan, but it just wasn't the time for that. So I took some time off played some video games in my underwear, got yelled at a few times by my wife, (laughs) and eventually- uh, Oh, wait,
2: you were married at this point, I love that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, oh yeah, definitely married, definitely got yelled at a lot. Um, And needed to figure out what the next step was for me. Uh, You know, the the next step in the journey didn't end up being the final one, as you guys can probably imagine, but I ended up starting a company called Simple Medicare. And I was introduced to somebody who was very successful at selling Medicare And I kind of learned the industry and thought there might be a way to automate the quoting process and figure out, basically give seniors better options as far as selecting their their Medicare coverage and allow them to do that more on demand without having to work through kind of captive agents and all the other stuff that goes along with uh, choosing a a Medicare coverage. And I hired some developers, you know, built the product. The problem was I didn't have access to all the data that I needed and uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, providers in the Medicare space, they have like exclusive contracts with Medicare.gov. So that kind of hit a dead end with that. And I decided that instead of fighting the that fight, I should just pivot this into something a little bit more sustainable. So I, I started doing marketing and lead generation in the, in the senior healthcare space, because I had learned a lot about marketing when I realized that even if I built the tool, I'd have to figure out ways to get people to look at it. And I'd have to figure out how to get attention to this tool that I was building. So I got really deep in online marketing, traditional marketing, pretty much everything, and started running webinars uh, to you know phone to, to schedule phone calls to talk about Medicare plans. So I, I did a lot of digital marketing stuff that maybe we can talk about later and got it to a point where it was about 15,000 in recurring revenue a month, but just hated the Medicare industry, dealing with insurance companies, all the conflicts of interest. I just couldn't do it. So I ended up just kind of, cash flowing that out Mm -hmm. and shutting down that business. And then I start I started my wealth management firm. So winding road to get to the place where I'm at now. I started SurePath Wealth about three and a half years ago. And right now we're at about, I want to say 70, 80 million in assets under management. I've had a split focus, as you guys will probably know in about 10 minutes, I'm always trying different stuff. I've got a couple of businesses. So always, always looking for opportunities in a way to kind of scale and better leverage my talents and my team's talents, but launched SurePath Wealth about three and a half years ago. The mission for SurePath is really to provide a good home for consumers that need help with their finances, whether that's tax, accounting, wealth management. We intend to be full service and kind of building a fractional family office model where we've got CPAs, attorneys, advisors all in uh, one office and they're able to serve clients uh, collectively. And that's kind of what we've done in Austin. We're about to do the same thing in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, so, yeah, definitely scaling on the consumer side, but we've also built a platform, uh, a lot of shared infrastructure for other advisors that are trapped in suboptimal situations. I find that a lot of financial advisors are either, you know, the incentives are misaligned and they're employees and they're not getting paid enough, they don't have equity in their relationships, or they're, you know, maybe at a captive broker-dealer, independent broker-dealer, maybe the payouts are high, but they have terrible infrastructure, they don't have any marketing support, they don't have any help with business development. Uh, so there's a lot of advisors that are just stuck in suboptimal situations. And really the mission for SurePath is to provide advisors with uh, equity in their business, a reasonable high payout with actual support and infrastructure that's going to help them move the needle and increase their net person, their personal income. Uh, so I started about three and a half years ago, been growing it ever since. Um, you know, I've, I've got a couple partners in that company, obviously with that type of vision where you're trying to build nationally, you're going to need uh, a team. So I built a team that kind of sits in each of the core uh, aspects of the business. So we've got, you know, COO. I'm technically the CMO. We've got a bunch of C people uh, where we're all working around the clock to really just build that platform out so that we can support uh, our advisors and also create an amazing, uh, dynamic client experience for the consumers. So uh, that's that. Surepath. And then, you know, what I noticed after I started Surepath and got that to a sustainable level. Call it about 300,000, 350,000 in gross revenue after about 12 months. Uh, A lot of advisors struggle with marketing. They really struggle with marketing and getting people's attention. So I started a consulting company that basically productized a lot of the IP, a lot of the intellectual property that I created while I was running SurePath. And I created some marketing programs that other advisors could leverage and utilize if they didn't want to join our firm. So Mm -hmm. I'm passionate about serving advisors and kind of meeting them where they're at. I don't like to box people in and say, you have to do this, or this is better for you. I'm a firm believer in, you know, some people should team up, some people should be independent, some people should operate in a small team. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build resources and platforms to be able to help advisors based on where they're at in their journey. And that was really the birth of the Model FA and my other consulting company called Brewer Consulting, which are kind of now one in the same. But the, the Model FA was launched about, a year and a half ago, I got a podcast similar to you guys, and we've got performance and marketing coaching programs where we basically teach advisors how to build a lifestyle or an enterprise practice as quickly as possible using proven frameworks with the goal of scaling to at least $3 million in revenue uh, within a few years, um, You know, implementing the right marketing, business development, and practice management structures so that they can actually flourish so I've just been busy, man. I've been busy <laughs> yeah. doing a lot of marketing stuff, a lot of stuff on the the, the practice management side. But like I said, we've, we've been kind of building out these businesses as a way to uh, meet advisors where they're at so that they can better serve their client and then just continuing to build infrastructure and IP so that we can empower them to just be better than yeah. their competitors. Yeah. That's essentially.
1: awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Congrats yeah. on everything you've accomplished. You definitely. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> done a lot. Winding road. So you you talk about, there's a ton that we can um, unpack there and get into, but the marketing aspect of it, you know, you say financial advisors struggle with, with the marketing. And why is that from your perspective, from your experience? Is it the compliance piece? Is it the technology piece? Is it the creativity that goes into it? Like, what have you seen the advisors have struggled with with your clients.
0: Yeah, uh, it really varies, so depending on how they're registered, if they're captive versus independent, they they could bump into some compliance issues. I think building a dynamic personal brand inside of a large company that has really strict <clears throat> compliance systems is going to be tough, and our business is relational. So if you can't build a personal brand and you can't advance trust at all stages of that relationship, you're going to you're going to struggle with marketing and with business development, and I think the mm-hmm. consumer is starting to demand a more independent approach and not only with the business model, but also your ability to communicate as your own person, your as a human being uh, to, to that uh, other human being. Uh, they're looking for more personal connection, especially with, you know, so much content and so much noise in the marketplace right now in general. So I think part, part of the reason why advisors struggle is compliance, especially if they're captive. I think the bigger issue is most advisors have been burned by marketing programs, you know, that promise really quick results. Like let's get you a couple of clients, one to two clients a month consistently, and it's only gonna take 30 to 60 days to ramp. When in reality, we all know this to be true, but we're in a relational business. So it really starts with the acknowledgement that you can't build a really deep, trusted relationship with someone in 30 to 60 days. It's gonna take you a lot of time and energy. And you also really can't outsource very effectively the relationship building process. Like you need to have an opinion. You need to share stories. You need to share your perspective. You need to share your belief system with people. And that that's ultimately what creates a successful business in our industry or in real estate or really any professional services industry is your ability to connect with a person very uniquely. I, I read a book that I think would be really helpful for a lot of advisors and anyone in professional services. It's called The Trusted Advisor and it has an equation in there. It's called The Trust Equation. And trust is really a formula. It's credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. The more credible you can be, the more you show up reliably and do what you say you're gonna do. And probably the most important thing is you, you're intimate with your, your, your audience and you actually are vulnerable and you take a vested interest in them, in them and you actively listen and you're empathetic, the faster you're gonna build trust and the more you can remove yourself from that captive environment where you're forced to sell a particular product or solution, the faster you're going to grow your your trust as anyone uh, so as a professional expert in any industry
2: Man, I love that. That's awesome. You know, it's so f- interesting because we here, obviously, we are firm believers. It's a relationship business, right? So we we think that being successful in real estate, insurance, finance, it's going to be about your ability to build relationships with people and turn those relationships, you know, basically get into a position of trust where people want to use you because you have authority on a subject matter. I'm curious, yep. how do you break down building a relationship with people from a system standpoint you talked about a personal brand right and i'm just curious like what advice would you give to an agent or an advisor listening to this that is trying to you know build these relationships but they have to have systems to do it effectively because they're trying to do it for a couple hundred people a lot of times so what are some of the frameworks that you present to advisors
0: For sure. We actually, this is one of the main components of our coaching program called the Model FA Accelerator is breaking down what that looks like from a relationship stage standpoint and how to advance trust at every stage. I call it the exponential relationship system. And there's seven stages. You have targets, which are people that you don't know, and they don't know you, but they look like they'd be a really good fit for your services. So it's kind of like a cold prospect. And you have acquaintances that kind of know what you do, but they're not like, they couldn't explain it to someone else, but they know you and they know your character a little bit. Uh, From there you have leads. These are people that are skeptically curious in your services, but they're not clients yet. They kind of know what you do, but there's there's still some skepticism there. So those three relationship stages, the, the most important thing is you need to get their attention and that's where marketing comes in. And that's where the personal branding process is so important. You need to be able to share stories, beliefs, perspective, you know, collateral with high perceived value so that you can move someone's awareness of you from, hey, I don't know who this person is, to I'm actually curious enough to sit down and talk to them about where they're at in life and, you know, what they may have to offer. And then you need to create enough of a uh, a sense of urgency and build enough likability and trust to get them to commit to a little bit of work uh, with you so that you can get them as a client. So we have a whole process hours of training videos that teach people how to move someone from target all the way to lead and eventually to new client. But those are really the three kind of broad relational stages that I've seen in the marketing process, moving from zero awareness to some awareness to eventually becoming a client. Um, After somebody becomes a client, there's, there's four more stages. So you start off with a new client, this person has taken the chance to hire you. They paid you some money. And now it's really about reinforcing your reliability and becoming more intimate with that person. So that's where you need to execute. You need to do all the paperwork very you know, diligently. You don't want to get their birthday wrong. Like They're really evaluating you during this stage to make sure that you can do the service the way that you said that you would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, after they get out of the new client stage, they progress to a good working relationship. This is someone who asks you questions about things that are within your domain of expertise. So if you're a real estate agent, they're gonna ask you questions about the housing market, um, if you're a financial advisor, they're going to ask you questions about financial planning and investments. Most advisors, this is where their relationships die because they get really good at being credible experts that are reliable, that are selling good solutions, but they never take that next step and become vulnerable and actually take a vested interest from an emotional standpoint in their clients. So it just kind of dies right there and you end up having you know, a good practice. That's so true. You never get to that point where your clients love you and they're excited to refer you and they want to see you win. So really the next stage in that process is uh, loyal clients. So these are people that uh, view you as the trusted advisor. They ask you questions outside of your, your, your domain of expertise. So they're going to ask you questions that could be related to something that's going on with their kid situation or you know, it could be something completely unrelated to financial services or anything um, in the professional services arena. They just they trust your opinion on matters that are outside the scope of what they hired you for. These are the people that you need in order to shift their, their consciousness to be somebody who's gonna refer you and help you. You need to ask for their feedback. So what most advisors uh, do at this stage is they just kind of let the relationship stay here. But the most important thing to do is ask them for feedback. Ask them if they were in your position and they were looking to generate more business and grow their business, like what would they do? Um, If you, if, you know, invite them to a client advisory board where they can actually give you uh, advice on, on how to grow and how to, how to, that's a great idea. Yeah. So, and then the final stage, not to drone on on this, but this is like a big component of what I think people should be doing is raving fans. These are people that really want to see you win. And the way to move somebody to a raving fan is to just ask them for help, right? You know, us as experts, we don't want to be perceived as needy. We don't want to be perceived as someone who lacks something so we very rarely ask for people's help, but mm. you ask for help as a, for, from a client who actually likes you, they're going to want to help you and they're going to get a, a, a dopamine hit for <laughs> helping you and they're going to feel good. So you're giving your clients an opportunity to feel good. So that is what ultimately helps you grow and build a practice that has real enterprise value. It's creating a system on the front end, a marketing and business development system that moves people from zero awareness to skeptical curiosity to new client as quickly as possible for the least amount of money possible. And then once they're a new client, it's moving past client service into a client experience model that moves them from new client all the way to raving fan, where they want to send you as much business as possible. Where you know you, there, there's just a lot of predictability around your your growth um, in revenue at that point. So that's kind of the the methodology that I coach. It I'm an advocate for less is more as far as you know. You shouldn't be trying to build relationships with 100 to 200 people. You should have 15 to 20 people a month that you're actively looking to advance the relationship. With and you should be thinking about creative ways to do that. You know, if you're sending emails on people's birthday and saying, like, happy birthday from Axe Equitable. Like, that's not going
2: to get the job done. Gotta, um, I, lo- I love the voice, too, because that's how the email comes across. That's when exactly you get the voice
1: you hear <laughs> when you it's see it's that crazy. email. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> crazy. hello, Hello, friend.
0: <laughs> so you've just closed a deal. Congratulations. But don't break out the champagne
1: just yet, because this one sale could be the beginning of a long-term relationship that will help you attract new leads, close more deals, and bring in big returns for years to come. Our free guide, From Anonymous to Advocate, teaches you how to turn that new client into a lifelong spokesperson for your business. To get it now, go to ReminderMedia.com forward slash advocate. That's From Anonymous to Advocate at ReminderMedia.com forward slash advocate. Take action on this today. I mean, back all the way up to the beginning then. Um because we've got we've got awareness, we've got the client experience. You're then turning them into loyal clients, which turn into raving fans, which refer you back to new clients. How else do you gain awareness? How else can it advise kind of tangibly? You, you mentioned some digital marketing. Is it we see so many people building, you know, building that personal brand, building that persona, being authentic on social media. I know that's that's part of it because you have to have a story. But how are you capturing awareness of those targets that you
0: mentioned? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it starts with first getting super clear on who you're looking to build awareness with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's too many people in our industry, professional services that are unintentional with mm-hmm. their time. And if you're unintentional with your time and your life and the way you're growing your business, that's exactly what you're going to get in return. You're going to meet other people that are unintentional with their time and their business and their life. That's a great so way I, to I say I see it. there's too many people running around right now, like doing B&Is. There's nothing wrong with that, but doing these events that... There's just no level of intentionality around growth. So I think what I advocate for is you need to answer four key questions before you should even try and build awareness of personal brand or a business in general. The first one is who are you? What is your skill set? What are your unique abilities? What do you do better than anyone else? And being really honest about that to find out what role you should be playing in the business. From there, you need to know What are you building? What's your vision for actually what you want to build? Is it a lifestyle practice where you're generating a million dollars in net personal income? Is it an enterprise firm where you have a business that's, you know, a hundred million dollars in gross revenue that you're selling to, you know, a huge consulting company? Like, what is it that you're building? And you need to visualize that and get very clear about how you're going to do it and who you're doing it with. Um, why you're doing it is also really important. You know that's what's going to get you through the challenges associated with rejection and all the other stuff that comes along with being a professional expert seller. And you know, the fourth one is how are you different? And that gets at the point of building awareness. like the actual tactics of building awareness are very related to how you are articulating your difference and what your your niche market is, what is your focus in the practice. So somebody who, Says, hey, I feel specifically called to work with entrepreneurs and help them with wealth management, tax planning, and accounting. Is going to build an entirely different practice and a different. They'll have a different offer. They'll have a different marketing strategy. They'll have a different client experience than someone who's focused on working with retirees that are five years out from retirement. It's just a completely separate uh, strategy. So I, I would I would argue that. Before they do anything on the personal branding, the marketing, the awareness side, they need to be able to answer those four questions in a compelling manner. And once they make the selection and they say, you know what, I feel like I'm called to help entrepreneurs maximize their wealth, and I'm really great at advising someone who just had an exit, now we can begin the, the tactical advice for how to build awareness around that. So I got to ask
2: you so you know as you look at this you know kind of landscape out there for marketing right because I totally agree with the four questions and I think the more targeted you can get the better your marketing is going to be just because it's all about relevancy but okay. you know from a kind of tangible aspect of are you seeing a lot of results for your advisors that you're working with by running things like Facebook ads are you developing a nurture program like You know, we were at a conference just recently in Phoenix, and one of our clients, he manages $700 million, right? And so this guy is a freaking stud. He's unbelievable. He does 275 touch points for each client a year. So I'm a marketer, right? This is what I do for a living. I was like, wow, dude, that's like almost overkill. (laughs) You know, it's like crazy. He uses our stuff, obviously, and uses a bunch of stuff, but... He does 275 touch points, and he had it all laid out. I mean, birthday cards, you know, cards on 4th of July, the magazine going out. He had quarterly, you know, calls, you know, events, all this stuff laid out. Where are you seeing, like, just in your experience, what are you laying out for advisors to try to start generating that awareness? Are you getting them up on a Facebook ad, then starting a drip campaign? What are some of those things that you're doing?
0: It really just depends on what their focus is. So for the advisors that we coach or the ones that join our platform and we you know, actually take a vested interest in and grow uh, directly, a lot of it starts with a two-hour discussion around what do they want? So we answer those four questions and we figure out, are they going to be focused on retirees? Are they focused on executives? Are they focused on entrepreneurs? So I'll give you an example for, uh, I'll, I'll compare and contrast two just to show you how different they would be based on kind of how they answer those questions. So for retirees, the most effective channel for growth is going to be doing educational workshops promoted through uh, digital advertising through Facebook and then supplemented with direct mail. Mm -hmm. So you want to do one or two day seminars that are educational in nature. We've created a separate brand that we advertise these under. It's called americasretirementforum.org. So it's a 501c3 nonprofit. We do not advertise as a wealth management firm because you're better off advertising as someone who's facilitating education in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. We spend about call it two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars a month in advertising across facebook a little bit extra in direct mail and then fill rooms all around the country for our advisor partners um, in an effort to bring in on average about a million to two million dollars a month and obviously some some insurance policies for when it's appropriate along the way but that same strategy would have zero relevance for an entrepreneur if i stood up you know, Entrepreneurs Retirement Forum, and started advertising to business owners and saying, "Come out to my event." We ain't never to retired. <laughs> yeah, not gonna go. They don't care. So I would say that for retirees, you've got email marketing, you've got educational workshops, you've got webinars that should be promoted. So if anyone opts into one of those educational workshops, they get retargeted with a Facebook campaign where it's a webinar from me, where I'm going through and I'm going through the slide deck on behalf of America's Retirement Forum. And then at the end of it, if the person's interested, they enter their name, email and zip code and the zip code routes to the appropriate partner in the territory. I'm a firm believer that wealth management is still face-to-face for the variety for for most consumers. I do think that after you establish the the client relationship, it can be virtual, but I think acquiring the client most cases is better done in person. It's cheaper and it builds a stronger bond and it accelerates trust. So I would say Facebook, email, educational workshops, referral marketing for retirees, live event marketing for retirees. That's for clients, client events, um, you know, book clubs you can get, you know, with client events, you should be creative. I use, uh, you go to, if you, you just go to airbnb.com and you go to the experiences section, you can find like sushi classes that are already done for you. You just yeah. invite people. Dude, so, that's great. That's awesome yeah, tip.
2: seriously. Yeah. Wait, that's
0: typical. on Airbnb. Yeah. Airbnb does these curated experiences. So, I mean, part I of, I didn't know
2: that that's freaking awesome.
0: Yeah, I've got like a million tips. I'll get into. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a great golden nugget right there.
2: It's you yeah. go to the curated experiences already yep. done for you. Yep. Like a sushi event or something. That's freaking sick. That's great. That deserves yeah. a sound effect. Man. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. But wait, that's entirely- wait, 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 no, no, that's wrong. Wrong, wrong sound effect. Josh, you have one job, man. <laughs> Is that it? Uh, That's it. That's it. There's the. That's the golden nugget. No, but that's really, really good. That is really good. It saves you time and energy and money, and then at the same time gives you the ability to even build that trust and humanize. Because if you yep. find an event or an experience that allows you to connect, if it's like a pet event and, you know, it's Yeah, you're pet getting owners. into the relationship oh, yeah, and the relationship. interest
1: and the Ford method that we talk about all oh, yeah. the time with the recreation and the dreams. It's awesome. Now that's yeah. really good. Um, so,
2: okay, so you're attracting awareness, obviously, different methodologies for what they're after, which I think is very, very relevant. I think uh, everybody listening to this, you know, there's no magic formula out there. It really boils down to who are you trying to reach? And where are those people? Yep. Like, where yep. do those people that are in that situation, what are they looking for? What are they, you know, after? How can you provide them something that they're looking for? Whether it's an ebook that they would download offline, a webinar they would watch because it has information that's relevant to them, the educational workshops. I will point this out, is that, you know, the more and more I've been traveling around the country and going to these financial advisor conferences and stuff like that, educational workshops are an incredible way that I see consistently advisors growing their business, where they set it up in a library, sometimes they do a dinner, a lot of times they do a dinner, I should say, and they invite people to learn about an educational topic, and then of
1: course, you then drip on them. It's amazing, <clears throat> and this is, excuse me, gonna make me seem out of touch with this world, but like, um, this world of webinars or seminars, it's it's just amazing that that still works today, <laughs> because that is oh, yeah. just information's everywhere, so, I'd almost kind of be curious of what your thought is there, Patrick. Like, will that, will that just continue to work? Why is there still so much power in that format?
0: No, it won't. I think, it, I feel like some people they go through life, and you just got to think about the type of person who's going to respond to that advertisement, whether that's through direct mail or Facebook. It's basically someone that's went their entire life without thinking very much strategically about their finances, and then they got to the end of the road at age 65, and they're like, hey, I should probably start thinking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then occasionally, people will show up that have like $2 million that somehow just had good enough saving habits <laughs> to be an awesome client for an advisor. And now it's the advisor's job to make sure that the distribution side of the equation works out. But I, I I, think the younger generation has just a higher level of, again, intentionality about what they want, about how they're designing their lifestyle, what does financial success look like? So I would say that a lot of advisors, there's going to be more competition for workshops. So I would say that the, it'll be arbitraged away, especially through digital ads within the next three to four years, I would just see a lot of money piling into it. I know that we're already spending north of $150,000 a month in advertising. So I think we're going to see a lot more people piling on. Um, and I also think that the consumer is going to get smarter and it's just not going to work as well anymore. I think that the the opportunity... It's a short-term growth strategy, so we use it for a, a short-term growth strategy. It's proven, it works. I don't really like the, it. I the think workshops, it, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would never show up to an educational workshop and give hand over my money in like an hour, but people do it. <laughs> they do. So it's crazy, they man. Do it, and you know, it's not on me to say it's good, it's right or wrong. It, it works, so we do it, and it pays for intermediate term to long-term strategies.
2: It goes into what you were talking about. It's about narrowing down to your niche mm-hmm. because you know, Brian who is a real estate friend of mine. I just had lunch with him today. You know what his niche is? You know where he gets most of his business? He helps seniors relocate and downsize into 55-plus communities or senior living homes. And so what does he do? How does he attract his clients? At the senior living homes, he he throws a free workshop to teach them about how they downsize. He brings in elder law attorneys. He brings in people that can educate that you would need in the process to downsize. And he generates so much business from holding these. But again, it, it speaks to he his target audience. Yep. That's where they're at, and he's on the real estate side. So it really gets down to your, you, you know, your target. No, I, audience. I
1: guess I'm just I'm always thinking about this stuff. Like when we're. When are when, when we're all sixty five, like will we be going to seminars? No. Like I, I, don't, like, <laughs> he's I don't know. It's like, no, no, we won't. Actually, I we'll don't know. will be in virtual
2: no, reality. We will. Dude, we'll be, we'll we, well, I, dude, I mean, we'll be plugged sure so. in like we'll be plugged in like the Matrix. We won't even be here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like Neo in the Matrix. Here I guess, you know, getting back to because I really want to hear your thoughts on the personal brand. Mm. Because yeah. I think this is a huge buzzword right now, personal brand. And I believe in it, obviously. I mean, look at what we're doing. I mean, I'm trying to build a personal brand. And this whole idea of building a personal brand, and I think specifically for, like, advisors and real estate agents, insurance agents, I shouldn't single anybody out, but it's really awkward, like, to try yeah. to build a personal brand. Well, you brand. didn't get into
1: this business to be a Instagram celebrity. Yeah, you're, <laughs> like, you think of it almost
2: like an influencer. So right. could you walk you- us through just your... I just wanna hear your thoughts on what does it mean to build a personal brand? What does that look like as an advisor that's managing money?
0: It's dangerous as you guys probably, like the the challenge with building a personal brand and becoming an influencer and being successful in it is it pulls you away from your primary expertise and why you started the business to become an advisor or real estate agent in the first place. So you're spending so much time podcasting, doing video, writing, editing, managing outsourcers, pushing out content via social media, doing advertising, that eventually you don't have any time left if you're successful, right? Let's say run it all the way through and say you're successful and you built an audience. You don't have any time left to be a financial advisor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you really have to love it. That's one of my my tenets with, with being an influencer. And then the other thing is part of the challenge with being attractive to people online in video or audio or any of that and building that audience is most of those people aren't going to be a good fit for your core expertise. So they're not going to want to work one-to-one, but they want the information and you end up having to sell more leveraged products, like information products, coaching, affiliate marketing type of things in order to make the money to keep going. And it just ends up keeping you on that hamster wheel of like, I need to produce all this content. I need to do all these things to like satisfy my influencer status but I'm, I'm now I'm even further away from like why I wanted to be an advisor and how I'm going to do that. So I think it's it's challenging to do both, but it is really important to have an influencer on the team. So the way that I think about it for our wealth management firm is I'm our primary influencer in the industry on the advisor side, so I can attract other advisors because we're building really cool stuff, right? That they should use on the marketing and the practice management side. So that's my role, right? I don't meet with a lot of clients. I don't do that, I don't do financial planning anymore, anything like that, because I can't, right? I've accepted that role. And I think the same thing goes on the consumer side. Like I can't be on CNBC and doing all the consumer influence because that's a full-time job. So at some point, we're gonna be recruiting somebody to SurePath to be a, just primarily to be chief communication officer and be an influencer. Hmm. So I think the the issue that a lot of advisors are gonna run into is like building influence is gonna get harder because larger brands are gonna spend more money to secure actual talented influencers and like creating their own influencers. We're already seeing this in China and, and other Asian countries where they're like creating their own influencers.
1: Um, it's like the boy bands, you know, they, yeah. Yeah. They so it's
0: in a studio. I always wanted it's gonna to be, be the, the
2: popular boy band. Maybe that's where we're headed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, man. I think it's, I think it's going to be hard. I think it's also not what most advisors want. So they resist it. I think the key, the, the key to the kingdom is for most advisors is is just figuring out what they're good at. If it's, they want to meet with clients, they want to build more intentional relationships with people they should really do the business development activities that are going to allow them to be successful in that for their specialization, for the niche that they select. Mm -hmm. And then they can use video and podcasting, but do it more for, you know, do it intentionally and do it more for business development versus building big audience because you don't need that many people to be successful. I'll give you an example. We're building a podcast called The Originators for all of the advisors at my firm that are focused on entrepreneurs. And each advisor is responsible for finding an entrepreneur, and we, we we help them with this with our marketing team. Bring them on to the the podcast, and they interview them. And we're not doing it to build a huge audience of entrepreneurs. We're doing it to build a very intentional and deep relationship with the one entrepreneur that came on the show and spent an hour and a half with us, so we can have permission to follow up and start to share networks and start to build better you know better net better uh, a bigger network with affluent people. Um, Dude, that's so you- fantastic. Yeah, using flipping podcasting on its head, and and I don't need to do a retirement podcast for everybody in the country and sell them a ninety-six dollar ebook, you know, on how to do your own retirement planning. I'd rather just work with this one guy who's got a twenty million dollar exit in the next five years, and just become really good friends with him and help him. So that's also think about
2: doing that. Like you know, you think of the live videos if you're like a real estate agent or financial advisor in your community, or you think of the podcast. Just doing the podcast in your community and your sole purpose of that is just to build the relationship with the business owners in the community that you interview.
0: Yeah. That's yep. a freaking great. Attention. Yeah, that's it's a freaking great attention. tip. I love it. People that. aren't listening that. to content really much anymore. They I, aren't, I, I, man. 80 something percent <laughs> of no videos.
2: Yeah, 80 80%, something percent of videos. I just saw this stat the other day on Instagram and stuff are not even listened to anymore. That's why you need all these captions. You have to have the captions. They don't even listen to them.
1: Yeah. It's like, why are we I, shooting
2: I, all I, this video, Josh? What are we even doing in here? I don't even know. Cut what the mics, here. everybody. Let's <laughs> get out of mics. here. Here, I mean, basically what it boils down to is that your influencer type idea, this is my thought process behind it, is the influencer brand, the, the personal brand is an important piece Like your website is an important piece that all these things are little touch points that play together to ultimately help build and accelerate that trust. That is the ultimate foundation of what you're trying to build. And what I love about and what I encourage like real estate agents, financial advisors to do is just share your life with people because when you share your life with people, then they become closer to you. They feel like they know you. And it's just, it's another way for them to see, hey, you have two dogs. I have two dogs. And one of them's named Bilbo. And if you know Bilbo, you know the Lord of the Rings. So you go, Luke must be a nerd. You would be wrong. I'm not a nerd. His wife's My a nerd. My wife is a nerd. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a nerd because I'm not smart enough to be a nerd. But the point you being is- You went for
1: computer science. What are I you did, talking about? I did. About? <laughs> I went for computer science,
2: which is an interesting story in and of itself. But the point being is like, it's just a way- for people to get to know you, so you can just have a connection with them, and ultimately that connection builds the trust, builds the likability, builds all these things that ultimately gives you the opportunity to present your value proposition to them. Yeah. All
1: right, man. So I got to ask you. I'm going to ask him a question first. I'm okay, gonna, you gonna, ask him. You ask before him we jump into the final two questions. We're gonna. I'm, I'm starting a new little segment here on the podcast. Uh oh, Luke, this is a prize to Luke. So we we normally, um, <clears throat> Patrick, I'm going to ask you, because we normally send over pre-interview questions. And these questions tend to not really come up on the show as much, but hmm. they tend to make it into the show notes. So I'm going to do a little bit of a teaser there to get some of the answers to these questions. And uh, Kevin's that's... sitting there saying, oh, man, I'm going to have to. Kevin's like, oh, "I'm going to have to step it up here. We're going to have these on the show notes, the full answers the, from what Patrick sent over. But I did want to ask you one thing uh, as sort of a teaser, but also to get your perspective on this, because I love this answer. Uh we asked you, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And you said, sell a painkiller, not a vitamin. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. What do you well,
0: what do you mean? <laughs> I feel like most people, like most ideas that I hear that fail, it sounds good. So it sounds like it should work. Um, like the idea, in my opinion, and this is really popular right now in the financial advice space, that you should work with younger people that have historically been targeted by more insurance selling, uh, and you should sell you should sell them financial planning for a monthly fee for a subscription. So in, in reality, that idea makes sense. But most of those people, if you peel back the onion, they're not very intentional about their finances because they don't have the time, they don't have the money. You know, they're not at a point where they can really pay for advice, and maybe they've really never been in a position where they've been given advice or that they give advice themselves because they're kind of in the middle of their career, they're not an executive, they're not a leader in the organization, they're not a business owner, so they don't really value advice, which is why the industry has manufactured a painkiller in an insurance policy that can be sold in three bullet points to take all the pain away, and that's why it works. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's a lot of businesses right now that are getting started that sound good uh, at face value, but you have to end up educating the market on why the person should buy it. And as soon as somebody tells me if I'm gonna invest in something or if I'm gonna get behind an idea or if we're thinking about launching something, if I need to educate the market or change people's behavior, I'm not gonna do it because it's really hard and mm. it costs a lot of money. Um, I don't know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in you don't pioneer, you disrupt. You know, Don't try and bring a new idea and a new level of awareness to the market about something, um, just disrupt the current model. You know, find a better way to deliver something that's already working. And I think the idea of a painkiller—it just removes the pain. So if an advisor has an issue with marketing, sell something that's going to solve the problem, like you guys did with the with the magazine. Right? It's f- it's a fantastic product. They're not that, going.
1: That's really too- why I asked you the question. I
0: was, <laughs> I was just waiting
1: for you to get to that <laughs>
0: point. In the design and send it out and handle the fulfillment. Yep. So about the images resize it like they're not going to do that, right? It's a,
1: it's a great marketing principle to sell uh to sell the problem that you solve. Um, and if you're hearing what Patrick is saying there, to sell a vitamin, to sell a benefit, there's so much explanation and education that has to go into it. Mm. To tackle a pain point and sell a painkiller. You hear that on Shark Tank all the time. Yeah. You really do.
2: It's just like if I have to educate the market, I, I'm not <laughs> I'm investing. Out. I'm right. out. It's just let like, someone else spend it. Yeah, their time there's and pain points educated. like the the entrepreneurs that make it is they they just see a pay, like Elon Musk. Dude, he's building a tunnel under Los Angeles because he was tired, tired of the of traffic. traffic. <laughs> I love that guy.
1: Freaking crazy. I spent about What's an hour friend? and a half watching uh, SpaceX uh, launches this weekend. I just kept watching them. How do you have an hour and a half to watch SpaceX, well, dude? Come on, what
2: are you doing these the, days? I cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, man. I got to ask you. As you have looked back on your journey, right? And hopefully you've spent some time reflecting, but, um, you know, you've done so much, man. It's, it's crazy. Like you in your, you know, intro of your story of your life. I mean, the, the businesses you've started, the failures, the successes, what are the routines that you implement in your life that have driven success for you? What are the things that you do that you go, I have to do this over and over again. And this drives success for me.
0: Yeah, I think it varies. I mean, I'd like to tell you that I wake up at like 5.30 in the morning and I do a two hour you know, routine and I journal, and meditate, do the Wim Hof exercises. I think for
1: me- <laughs> Finally, someone <laughs> honest on here real. that doesn't wake up at 5.30 a.m. Thank I you, mean, Patrick. I'm not mean. a morning
0: person. My energy levels, like most people probably listening to this, fluctuate dramatically based on kind of what season the business is in. Sometimes I'm in the grind. Sometimes I'm not. A lot of it just comes down to an unwavering belief that I'm going to be successful. So there's something called the Stockdale Paradox. I, for anyone listening, I would uh, look it up on YouTube or wherever you can find it. Uh, but it's just this idea that I'm not optimistic. Like, I'm not like, oh, wow, I'm going to be successful by this Christmas. And it's going to be so amazing. I'm more just, I know it's going to hurt and the journey is going to be long, but it. I know I'm going to win. And I just commit to that. No matter how much pain and challenge and failure I have to go through, I know I'm going to do it and I'm going to be okay. And my team's going to be around me and really just being very honest with myself and learning from my failures and taking that information and using it to become better. Like I'm very aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And when I first started, the list of what I was good at was very long. Now the list of what I'm good at is like two items. So I think that's powerful. Yeah, I think it's really just using the failures and just making sure that you're not stuck in like loops where you're telling yourself something that isn't true. So I'm good at breaking loops and those types of things. But yeah, I'd love to tell you I've got like that two and a half you know, an hour morning routine. But maybe at some point I'll be I'll be that <laughs> cool. You
2: know, being real with yourself is one of the hardest hardest skill sets yeah. to to master. And then what's crazy is when you try to be real with yourself, then you get into one of those loops where you feel like, okay, I'm being real with myself. And then all of a sudden you realize, no, I'm really not. I'm just telling myself I'm being real with myself. So I don't have to really be real with myself. It's like really difficult to, to self-reflect, to look in the mirror. It is extremely hard. That's awesome. All right, man. What advice would you go tell your younger self? You know, that 12 year old boy sitting there, what what
0: advice would you give him? I would say focus, you know, people can really only know you for one thing. I think part of the challenge that I've had is since a, I like to do a lot of different things. Like I'll learn marketing, I'll become really good at marketing and then I'll learn selling, I'll learn partnership at M&A, I'll learn building platforms. And I'm like, man, all this stuff is so fun, but most people, they're not gonna pay attention to what you're doing every day. So I would say that focus is really important just to, you know, not uh, two things, focus on the things that are gonna move the needle and then and eliminate distractions and then don't hold, Don't don't beat yourself up. You know, like a lot of people, uh, especially me, like we just hold ourselves to a high standard and we fail or we do something wrong. You know, we can, we can really take that personally. So just don't beat yourself up, focus on what you're good at and learn your strengths. Um, everything's going to be okay. Just keep persevering. Love that. Awesome, man. Thanks
1: for being here, Patrick. Um, before we close out, tell people how they can find you. I know they can follow you on Twitter. They can join the FA, the model FA community. Tell them about that.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, the best way to, to interact with us depends on kind of like where you're at as a financial advisor. I would say most financial advisors were are best to interact with us on www.modelfa.com. Uh, we've got a podcast, blogs, videos, all that fun stuff, uh, free resources that you can use no matter where you're at in your career as an advisor. We also have a coaching program. It's called The Accelerator. You'll see a link to it on that website. And if you're stuck in a suboptimal situation and you would like a team to help you grow your RIA or grow your advisory practice where you have full mobility, equity ownership of your book of business, you can check out www.surepathwealth.com. So either of those would be a way to interact with me and the team. Awesome. Thanks
1: again, Patrick. That's modelfa.com. You'll be able to find that link as well as any other notes that we talked about here on this episode and the full uh, questionnaire. The, the questionnaires that we uh the teaser questions teaser. i like that segment dude we got to like keep that adding segment. that that's awesome we're gonna we're gonna have uh, segments and sound effects and on our way to number one <laughs> we gotta have sound uh, uh, effects uh, we gotta have sound effects on the to way to hit number, number one, one. baby thank you so much for listening uh as i mentioned head over to staypaidpodcast.com for the show notes those questionnaires and then the links that patrick mentioned you'll definitely want to follow along with him and his journey if you're interested in supporting the show we don't ask for your money we don't want your money yet. Keep, we don't ask
2: for your money keep yet. Keep your money. Just kidding. We're Here's not what ever we going to ask for your money.
1: We want you to check out Patrick's stuff. Yes. We want you to go over to iTunes and rate us five stars. Leave a comment. We have a video out on our YouTube page. We'll add it in the show notes of this podcast as well on how to leave an iTunes review. We've yes. gotten a ton of people messaging in saying, I want to leave a review for you guys, but I can't figure out how. We show you how. There's like eight, I like that. There's like 18 buttons too. <laughs> to click. <laughs> iTunes does not make it easy. So we are going to show you how to do it uh, with video and audio. You don't have to listen to the audio, though. You can just watch it. Yeah. Uh, and then the best way to support us is to tell a friend about us. It, it really helps spread the word. If you want to get hold of me, Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com or you can find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. Also make sure to go follow Luke on Instagram. He is at LukeAcrey. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acre. And there's another way you can support the show.
2: Ooh, which four is ways? Take action on one of the tips that you've heard today. I have two tips for you, and you can choose either one to take action. But choose I thought your were own re- adventure. Yeah, tip choose time. your own adventure, dude. That's a new segment. <laughs> choose your own adventure to take action on. No, but I think two really easy, but good relevant things that you can do is one is do that podcast. And it doesn't have to be a podcast. When people think podcasts, and we have a whole episode. I forget what episode number it is, but we'll put it in the show notes of how to do a podcast. It's actually way easier than you guys think it is. You could do a Facebook Live series. Go interview the business owners in your community for the sole purpose. I thought that was incredible. The sole purpose of getting to know the person you're interviewing, not Mm. really caring about the audience. (laughs) I think that is freaking fantastic. It just flips it on its head. That's super easy. If you're a real estate agent, interview the mortgage professional, the title insurance person. Go interview the security company. Go interview the mom-and-pop grocery store, mom-and-pop yeah. restaurant. Interview those owners. They're movers and shakers in the community, and they're driven people because they have a business mm-hmm. and they're entrepreneurs themselves. So that's one route you could go. The second route is the Airbnb events. I'm going to go check that out myself. Go find these curated, curated events. And, and think about it this way, and I, and I have to have a shameless plug. We just launched local events yep. here at our company. So if you're looking for local events to send to your community, we now provide that. But I have to think it might go to this and find an event, either be part of it with you know, or invite some of your clients to it because it's a way to get to know them. It's a way to build that trust. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single industry we work in It's top producers take action. So support, stay paid, take action today and change your life. Thanks for listening, guys.